Welcome back to Principles in Practice. I'm your host, Chris Heslip, and today it's a pleasure to welcome Brett Huckins, the Executive Director of Technology and Communication for Gateway Church in Southlake, Texas. Brett has had a very interesting career journey, originally starting as an assistant editor and now running the entire technology and communication teams at Gateway. In this episode, we're going to dive into Brett's story and what he believes were some of the major milestones and how he handled them on his path to becoming a great executive and leader. Welcome, Brett. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Hey, well, we're going to dive in. I would love to hear your story and how you ended up at Gateway Church. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, it was interesting. So I think uh, early on back in the day, I met my wife who uh, uh, was actually... Uh, a the daughter of one of the senior pastors, Pastor Tom Lane, at the church, and so I actually met uh, with him to ask if I could um, court his daughter. And he's like, "So a job, though? You might want to have that." So that was how it first all got started. Um, but I, yeah, I came on staff uh, actually 14 years ago. I just celebrated my 14 year anniversary uh, two weeks ago, so it's been exciting. But um, wow. came on staff 14 years ago uh, as a assistant video editor in the film team. Um, that's how I kind of got started and then been there ever since kind of doing various things. And so you obviously joined pretty early. I mean, the church was probably pretty small and, and how's the church grown over the last 14 years? Man, it's been incredible. Yeah. I don't remember the exact number of people when I came on staff and we were in the low thousands. It was still, it was the dynamically, it grew dynamically. It was a fast growing church and uh, one of the fastest growing in America for many, many years. But, um, yeah, so over the past past 14 years, there's been a lot, I've seen a lot of growth, a lot of amazing ministry happen, a lot of things. But, you know, right now we're, you know, obviously with the pandemic, people aren't, there's not, you know, we don't measure the in, in service attendance as much anymore, but there's, there's, there's a lot of eyeballs usually around, you know, we estimate about a hundred thousand eyeballs on us right now. So definitely have seen a lot of growth um, through that. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I started out in the film team. Um, and was on that team uh, and over, let, ended up leading that team for about six years. Uh, and then they asked me to come step in and, and actually lead our entire technology team, which kind of in, uh, consists of the uh, IT, traditional IT, uh, web development, software development, all those kind of areas. Um, did that for a few years. Uh, and then they asked me to also oversee our communications, like our creative and marketing team. Um, so I, I did that for about three years. And then just as of recently, I'm now overseeing those teams as well as the live production team. So all the, the teams that actually take to get the service, you know, in service experiences and also, uh, the external expression of that as it goes out all around the world. So it's pretty fun to be able to, to be able to, to work, uh, with a team that handles from the start of things like the foundation core of our infrastructure to what we're going to say and how we're going to say it then how we execute it and deliver it to our campuses and all around the world. So it's kind of a start to finish. It's fun to be in the middle of all of that. Man, I mean, I've had some various interactions with you, you know, as a vendor, obviously, and, and on the personal side. And I mean, you're an incredible executive. Um, but I guess if we think about like, it probably wasn't all that way, right? Like there was some learning that had to happen early. Uh, and so take us back to when you made the jump from, being an individual contributor in the film team to managing people, what was yeah. that like? What were some of the struggles that happened and, and how did you overcome those? Yeah, for sure. It, you know, I, I fortunately had a small team when I made that jump, you know, it was, you know, I was an individual contributor and then, Hey, can you oversee a team of, you know, four people? And so uh, while it's still, you know, significant to when you're managing, leading anyone, it wasn't like I got thrown in, you know, into the deep end right away. Um, but I do remember just, you know, I think about how, like what has shaped my leadership journey and even early on, like, how did I, uh, what did I do in those early days? I was thinking about that and just, there's been people in my life, you know, that have poured into me and spoken into me and, you know, have mentors. I, I talk about, um, you know, I married, married my wife whose dad is incredible, Tom Lane. And I think about pivotal moments in my life where he sat down with me and just started pouring into me, principles, leadership principles and life principles, specific, you know, moments like that, that to go, you know, I don't know that I would be the leader that I am today without like, without people intentionally pouring into me like that. Um, Also, my brother-in-law is an amazing leader and just pouring into me and just watching by example as well. 
Um, but yeah, that moment you have to figure out, <laughs> all right, so I'm not, I have more, my, my responsibility now is to about is to these team members and to the people that I receive more than the actual work that I'm doing. Cause I'm still doing work as well. Obviously you're not just at that level. You're not just leading. That's your only job, but having to still edit and do some things, but realizing that at that point, my responsibility is to now develop these leaders and how can one of them replace me one day? Because if I'm ever going to grow in advance, I can't, I'm, I am unable and eligible for promotion if there's no one that can take my spot. And so trying to like figure out what does that look like on a team? And then, and then as you grow, really getting thrown in the deep end as you go, okay, great. You're going from four people to now 30 people. You know, that was a whole, <laughs> that was a whole nother experience as well. Can you um, give us some insight into some of those mentoring moments? Were they kind of organic and they happened with Pastor Tom, you know, just kind of organically? Or was it like, hey, I'm struggling with this thing, you know, what should I do? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think, well, so I don't think with him it was, it was organic. It was very intentional. So on both ways, like he, he you know, obviously if he's saying, you know, well, you may want to, if you're going to think you're going to marry my daughter, I want to I get to know you and, and maybe pour into you. And so that was incredible by his part. But also during the course of that, I realized that, you know, I could go to him and ask, ask questions. Hey, I'm struggling with this. What would you do in this situation? I mean, it's valuable for anyone that you really look up to and trust to go, what, what would you do? How would you walk through this? I have a challenge. I remember like down to the, I think about them now, they were such small little things, but I had no idea being a new leader. I didn't know really, you know, now I could probably just, I would I make a lot of those decisions on a weekly basis, but then going, I don't, I'm stuck. And, and I have someone who has this attitude or this is their perspective. Can you give me some insight and clarity on that? And that was really great. Uh, and it helped a lot. I think also uh, just looking, I mentioned Todd or my, my brother-in-law, Todd, just being able to watch how he leads and he's also at gateway. So to be able to just watch every meeting that he's leading and every kind of interaction I would pick apart and dissect. So that would be more of the organic side of being intentional, knowing that I, I was hungry for wanting to grow myself and be and develop as a leader. And not everyone is. I had a personal drive to like, I want to grow and always want to keep growing and be the best leader I can. So I'm trying to hang on to any little thing, any oversight I had, uh, every manager I had, I'm looking at like, how are they doing things? What's the good? What's the bad? Obviously not everyone's a perfect leader. So you're going, Hey, if I, you know, what, what, what's working and what would maybe I do differently? And you're evaluating there. So I think some of it being organic, but then with, for sure with uh, Tom, uh, being it was there was a lot of uh, intentionality behind that as well. I love that, and so that's people investing into you. And just going back to your previous comment, you mentioned you know having this foresight to think about how hey, I've got to actually invest in and grow people who work for me if I'm going to move up. Um, like that's a pretty rare insight to have for someone who's just stepping into managing people for the first time. Uh, how did you get the insight and then how did you help to invest in those folks that were working for you? What did that kind of practically look like? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I got the insight other than maybe there's the drive to want to continue to grow and move up and knowing that, you know, there's no way I can continue to do what I'm doing now if I want to take on more. And so, but honestly, I think for me, it comes from a genuine place of wanting the people that work for me to thrive and to grow and to be all that they are called to be. Uh, and if they don't, if they want, if they have leadership in them that they want, they're like, I'm, I feel like that one day I want to do these things. Like I'm going to help you achieve that because as leaders, as managers, our goal is to help pour into and serve the people that we're leading. And so that, that's, that's, that has been my outlook. And my goal is to try to pour into them. How can I serve them? How can I get them to where they to fulfill their calling and their dreams that they have for their life. Because in doing that, like the other thing, my, my, mine, mine gets taken care of. I'm growing, I'm developing, and I'm, I'm raising up a team. People are seeing that in me and in our team. And they're going, man, what you've done with this team has really been great. Now, could you do that to, on a bigger scale? And so yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's sort of what, and at least in my career path, that's how it's been. I tell people that work for me, you know, Hey, try not to get frustrated with the here and now, if you believe you're called to do great things, you're, you, you believe you're called like in your life, you're going to, you're going to be here. You're going to be in this seat at some point. That's amazing. But the way you get there is you focus on being excellent at what you do today. 
and you serve and you steward what's been asked of you to do today. And you do it with amazing attitude and saying, I'm just here to serve and I'm here to do whatever you need me to do. And I'm going to do it with, I'm going to do it the best that anyone can do it. That, <laughs> you know, as a manager, as a boss, you're going to work with that all day long. You're like, yep, I'm going to, if you have that attitude and those are the people that get promoted. And I feel like that's what I've tried to instill in my team is that attitude. And that's the posture I've tried to take. I feel like that's why gateway goes cool. Now do this. Hey, now would you like to do this? You know, like, here's more. Can you create a health? Can you create that team dynamic uh, on a, on a larger scale? Did you find that most people were open to that or were there some people on your team, the four people you had to start with who were like, Oh, I don't really want to grow. I don't have the same drive you have. And how did you work with them? Yeah, I think not everyone has that drive. And I think it's okay. It's okay. Your, our job as leaders is to call it out of them, but it's, it's a two way street. So I, I believe that it starts with us to be able to see the things call out, um, be able to recognize giftings and like, and, and even blind spots where people need to work on and, and call those out. But we, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. So you, you, it's, a, it's a two way street and what their giftings are and what they're called to and all that. And some, yeah, some want to grow and excel and soak it, soak it up like a sponge and want to continue and we'll do anything to grow and lead. And they're just, they're, they're hungry for that. And some of them are like, you know, some of them aren't interested and some of them think they're interested, but don't have that makeup, you know, as much like they're like, it's, it's, it's a lot more of a struggle because they don't, they're not, they're not gifted in that area of leadership. Not everyone is gifted that way. It doesn't mean you can't learn the skill and, and, and grow and become that, but like, it means there's some more to overcome if, if that's not, a, if you're not innately wired that way. And so I'm willing to work with those people all day long, but sometimes there's a gap that's hard to close and maybe they don't have a perspective, their perspective of that gap is different than ours. And so that, those, that can be challenging to have those kind of conversations when there's like, yeah, but your sweet spots are over here and not necessarily over here. It's, it's right here. So if you stay in that lane, you're going to be very successful. But if I promote you over here, it's not, it's not going to be good. And then we're going to have to undo that and everyone's going to get frustrated and, and, and there could be you know, hurt in the process. Is there, is there anything that you did to create that growth mindset in your team? Because I think not every team in an organization has that approach, right? Like, hey, one day I'm going to be promoted up. So one of you is going to be taking my job. What, what did you do? What else did you do to kind of create that growth mindset so that people would, you know, really step up and take more ownership? You know, I think um, I was really, I am really engaged in the team and trying to uh, see kind of what, what makes everyone tick. And really, and the only way you can do that is by, by being engaged and present. Um, and then also being able to empower them as well to do, to, 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 to lead and do things and step out and take chances and risks. Um, so I don't know that, I don't know that I could pinpoint something specific that I'm like, this, this, this thing I did cultivated them to feel that way. But I think working for someone who is engaged and also empowering um, it gives you the freedom to dream a little bit. It gives you, because you know uh, if you have an engaged leader, but yet they also empower you, then you know that that is someone that knows your world and is choosing to trust you, like knows all the things that are going. And because they know it, they're still choosing to empower you and to trust you to do your thing. And I think there's something, there's a freedom in that and an, and, and an excitement and causes people to have personal responsibility. Uh, when you're like, man, my boss could do my job better than me <laughs> and knows everything there is about it. And like all, but yet he or she is still trusting me and empowering me to do it. And I think there's something powerful because I think we've worked for probably a lot of us have worked for leaders that maybe like weren't super engaged, but yet maybe weren't empowering also, or they weren't super engaged and they were empowering, but like, that doesn't mean as much like that. That actually doesn't mean as much because I don't like you, you're not, you're, you're, you're saying I am empowered, but then if I make a decision, you're like, well, why'd you make that decision? Because you're not engaged on the why behind it anyways. And so that can be really, really frustrating. And so I think that's what I've tried to model. And I think, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that's been part of the success of why the, the team has, um, has rallied and wanted to grow and wanted to learn and, and, and take on more and things like that. That's fantastic. And uh, something I've tried really hard to develop as well is giving people the latitude to make the decisions and yeah. then, you know, they get the consequences good or bad from that decision, yeah. right? Whereas if you make the decision, you're on the hook for the outcome of that. And that person then becomes disengaged because they're saying, Hey, now I'm just executing the decision that you've already made. And mm -hmm. so 
they feel like they're just an order taker instead of someone who's actually got a seat at the table to have input to yeah. where the organization's going or how the organization achieves those results. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, along those same lines, like I think people get really uh, confused by the uh, definition of empowerment. I, I found that when I lead teams, especially teams that haven't been under me and, and I come in, you know, I come in new and it's a whole new culture and all that. And so, but they talk about empowerment on it. We just never empowered. And that may be the case, but also I've found too, that sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a confusion with what empowerment actually is. And a lot of people think that empowerment is being able to always make the final call or, or, well, if, you know, I got, I, I, I got trumped, you know, so I'm not really empowered. It's not actually accurate because all of us, unless you're the owner and head of everything, you all, we all have the, we all are going to get trumped at some point. Like we all have the potential of that, but that doesn't mean we're not empowered. Um, and so I think, I think um, shifting people's mindset from that too, because there is something to, to your point, it is very demoralizing when, you aren't given any latitude and leeway to make any decisions. Um, and you're always just like, hey, it, it turns out to be, you're just, yeah, you're just managing someone else's vision. So on the other flip, on the flip side of that, you give people latitude, but then also knowing there may be times because if you, if you make this decision, it's going to have, it's going to severely, you know, uh, it could severely cripple something we're doing. So I don't want that uh, I don't want that to fall on your shoulders. Actually, I'm going to take that from you because I don't, I don't want the catastrophic effects of it to be on your shoulders. And, but like, as a leader, we have to know that not everything is that. And so a lot of times we're trying to like make sure everything is perfect and that, um, it, you know, my butt's on the line because my team member does something and they're going to look at me and say, Brett, why did you do this? We have to be able to be okay to know when are, and when is the time that's going to, it's a mission critical decision and when isn't it? And most of the time we can empower most of the time it's not. And, but like, I think sometimes if we're a little in, more insecure and what are they going to think, what is the organization going to say is my name going to, you know, get drugged through the mud if something happens, we feel like we have to control everything. And then it just makes people die and wither below us. And that's, that's just not good. Absolutely right. And uh, you know, my experience is there's really two main reasons you've got to step in. One is because something's not aligned with how we operate our culture, our values, yeah. right? And it's like, hey, this is not a bad thing. It's just not how we do it here. Or, and you've got some scars from, hey, we tried to do this thing and it didn't work. Someone yeah. new comes along and they're like, hey, should we do this? And you're like, this is six months and $200,000. I can For tell sure. you that it's not going to work. And then people are saying, hey, you're not empowering me. You're not empowering me. And it's like, actually, you know, maybe, maybe what we've got to do as leaders at that point is explain the why. Here's why we yeah. shouldn't do it because we tried this and it didn't work. And so- mm -hmm. There's no use trying it again and spending a lot of money to learn it doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and to your point on values, I, I, I tell every, so I have an interview with every new person that joins our team, actually them and their spouse is like a final interview if they're married. So awesome. I do an interview, I do an interview and it's at that point, like I'm not interviewing for talent and all that stuff. I'm interviewing for, I, I'm actually not interviewing for culture. I think my team would have already done that. What I'm trying to do is less of an interview and a more of, I'm going to set the expectation of what it's like working on this team. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask every single person, does that sound like something you want to be a part of? Because I'm going to hold you accountable. We are going to hold you accountable to that. And it's our, it's the values of what's important to us. And I, in, in those interviews, I usually tell people, um, you would, you would get fired easily for not reconciling a dispute with some one of your coworkers or not leading with trust consistently, then you will missing four deadlines. Like it's because it, that's a value that we have. It's it's how we create healthy teams. It's how we it's how we have trust and all that. And so to me, it's to me it's those values like you're talking about. We step in and go, hey, um, just so you know, this is this is why we're doing something, or this is this is the decision we need to make because this is a value of ours um, as a department, as a team, as as an organization. You talked about um, understanding people in the hiring process and getting to know, you know, is this person a culture fit? I think another element of that is, you know, uh, this is this person, uh, or what is this person's strengths and how can they apply to this role? Are, are there any, do you do um, personality assessments in hiring, Enneagram, anything like that? And, and how do you bring that into leading people, you know, and understanding their unique strengths and how to position them best for success? Yeah, we don't currently use it in our hiring. I kind of informally, I mean, we do in our interviews, like I'll like, we'll ask and but it's not like a corporate, like a corporate wide uh, thing at Gateway. 
Um, but we use, we use strengths. Uh, we've been a big strengths culture, but then, but then obviously through uh, recently over the last couple of years, we've done it, been doing Enneagram, not as an organization again, but like just as our teams. And so it is, uh, we, we will use that to you know, talk about, to know, Hey, this type of role, this type of person, what are their strengths? How are they wired? Is there, is that a good fit or even predefined before we even go into it? you know, a, a, a five, you know, is, it would be great, a six, you know, we kind of like think about what type of person would fit best in this. Um, so it's, I think it's more like, you know, a little bit more organic and not a, uh, you know, set up, like we have this process to do it, but super helpful though. I love those tools and we use them, we use them, you know, whenever we can for sure. Fantastic. So take me back, uh, you've just been promoted the second time from leading one team, maybe was it leading a second team? What will, yeah. what will happen there and, and, and how did that work out? I mean, you, uh, did you have someone to step in and take your leadership role like you were planning to or, or what, what was the scenario? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was leading the film team and then um, they had an opening in the executive director of technology role. And uh, I, I had in the film team, I had been building up uh, technology infrastructure for the film team alone. Like, you know, because it, when you're doing video, it's, it's more, it's way more intense when it comes to processing and then storage, it's just big files, how the computers are connected. So it just kind of needs its own specialty IT department and our IT department weren't equipped to service that. So I was kind of doing all that set up, you know, uh, I, I always had my background. I always just have a love for technology. It was never, ever a job before this, but like my, my uncle was a programmer. I think I just got it wired in me. I just love tech. So, um, so that was like, it was like my day job was editing and leading that team. But then like what I really loved was like dabbling in all the technology. So it was kind of like, Hey, Brad, are you supposed to be editing this thing? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. You know, my building, I'm like crawling under desk and plugging in stuff and all that, all that fun stuff. But, um, so I did that. And over the course of six years in that team, when that person resigned, um, immediately I was like, I, um, I, I want that job. So I went to talk to the, to the person and they actually said, you know, Hey, you're on our radar. Um, so they actually, they offered me the job and, you know, come to find out um, the hiring manager was like, yeah, there was no one, there was no one else on the radar. Like there was no one else that could have done it, which was, which was, you know, it's, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, I'm like, thanks. You know, there's no, we didn't have any other choice, but, um, but I think, I think, well, I, you know, obviously into talking, talking to them more and, seeing what uh seeing seeing what i had done with the, this the small team and the, so on the leadership side but also the technology side you know uh, going okay it's a it's you know it's a it's a jump it's a pretty and it was a pretty big jump uh, to go from this one little thing to now it's like great you're over the entire infrastructure and over all of what we do technology wise for the church um it was crazy. Like that was probably the most pivotal moment, you know, for me and my leadership growth is, it, you know, you have to grow up quick when it comes to leadership from, from being in like the team of five to four or five to you know, like 30, I think it was what it was. And now you have managers who manage people and that's all, you know, that's different as well. And so at that time we had just had, uh, <laughs> it was just, I like I barely remember it because it's such a, it was such a crazy season we had just had uh, our triplets. So we have five kids and um, they're 10, 8, 8, 8, and 6 now. Uh, wow. We had just, yeah, we had just had triplets. And so literally like two months before, they were in like NICU for a while. And then now they're home. And there's three of them. So it's a lot. And then they're like, Brett, you have to do, you know, go, congratulations. You're now over all this stuff. And I'm like, I just, I think I don't remember sleeping for a few weeks where, <laughs> <laughs> where I'm like, I'm feeding two babies at once. Like looking at my emails that have come in, like which ones I didn't respond to. And it's like, you know, midnight and 1am, 2am. So it was, it was nuts, but yeah, the film team was in a good spot, um, handed it over to someone that took it and kept running with it. We actually took all the technology management of it as well. So that was nice too. Cause like there was, it only worked because I was in there cause I was kind of knew what I was doing, but the, the, the team was, they were good at, they were good at creatives. They weren't technology people. So we just yes. took that over. So that was great. We could just manage all of that. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was, that part was smooth as far as the transition there. It was just crazy for me as far as I really, you know, as you put on your big boy pants and learn how to learn how to lead at a different level. And I just, I look back and I go, yeah, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have taken a shot on me. Like they shouldn't have done that. Like that was crazy, but you know, it worked out, I guess. 
obviously it worked out. I mean, you did a phenomenal job leading that team. Um, uh, was there anything you did in leading into that season or maybe even some advice you would give other leaders? Hey, look, when you make that jump from how I'm leading a team to now I'm overseeing a whole department, you know, what, what, what did you do to prepare and what would you advise others to do to prepare? Yeah, I actually just had to give this advice to someone who I promoted and, uh, you know, they were peers with their, their, you know, they were peers and then I just promoted them. So now they're leading their peers. And she was like, what do I do? Because now I have to lead, you know, peer, a team, a big team that I was once a part of. Uh, and I worked with a lot of these people. So it was a similar thing. I worked with a lot of these people on a, on a peer level. And so, you know, being promoted and um, so I think it's pretty simple. Uh, maybe I'm oversimplifying it. I don't know. But basically, I, I, I would say you go in and you serve. You go in humbly, you serve and you ask questions and you go, I'm just here to make your job easier. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to support you. What do you need? You don't go in guns blazing with all the things because I had plenty of things that I wanted to change about that team because I saw it from uh, from sideways. You know, they I saw how, you know, they weren't the most servant hearted people. And when you're in a service department like IT help desk, you, you, you know, you got to <laughs> you got to learn how to serve people well, especially at a church, you know, as an organization like that. So. Um, so really just trying to put all those, you know, put all those things that I knew I wanted to change just down for a second and go, all right, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know what you're about each individual person. Um, so, you know, I went to coffee with all of them. I just, and knowing that this is awkward probably for them. I mean, it's weird for them too. Like we've worked with this guy for six years. Like who does he think he is? You know, like you just have to recognize that. And even sometimes calling it out, like, Hey, like I, uh, I know we worked side, you know, side by side, uh, together for a while, but listen, I want you to know my only job is to make you successful. Like I really want to do everything I can to serve and support you. Uh, and what do you need to be successful? What are your pain points? How can I help? And you start addressing just all the things that their frustrations, you know, and just hearing them out and come in humbly and serve them. And, um, that's what I told, uh, that's what I told this young leader, uh, just last week to do. And I think, you know, I, it, it may be, it may be simple, but that's, that's been my game plan every time, because there's been times where it's in my last, in my last, you know, kind of, Hey, okay, would you take on more was going back to the communications team where I served on the film team. So when I, I left technology, I left that team over there and they were run by, you know, someone else. And I went over here and spent five years over there in uh four or five years in technology and they said hey would you also now can we graft in the communications team the the media team back into you uh to your oversight and i was like so i came back it was kind of a homecoming to all the people i used to really work with side by side you know the, the same film team the graph the editorial team the graphics team design all that marketing you know so that was kind of uh so i mean so basically it's the same playbook hey guys i'm back what do you need? How can I serve you? <laughs> you know, how can I help you? Uh, what are your challenges that we, or what do we need to solve? And anyone likes to, to work with someone who feels like that they're on their side trying to help them solve their frustrations. And so, and again, there's things you wanted to, I wanted to change day one in that, in that, cause I, I saw, I could see pretty obvious things that, that, that could make that team better from, from afar, from sideways. Um, and just trying to wait on those things and come in with humility. Is there anything you did in, in that situation that didn't work or that you wouldn't do again? So I, I brought over, when I went into communications, I brought over a leader uh, from my team. I actually brought two over, one kind of more organically and one like they're going to, like one that I didn't make people report to. I just said, hey, they're, you know, he's a new leader in this team. And then another one that I put people reported to, but it was like, it kind of came over from like Brett's bringing his regime in, you know, like yep. <laughs> over into leadership. Um, and looking back on it, I think it was probably too much, um, you know, us versus them. Like we're bringing in people, you know, where they, they, they had everything going. They liked how it was. They didn't see any of the flaws like I did, but so, but they didn't yet. They thought it was all, they thought it was great. I mean, they probably had some, you know, can some, can some uh, issues that they saw, but they, they, they predominantly liked their team. And I kind of came in and started messing with it a little bit much. So I think, potentially bringing in that second person and then putting the people under them right away. Uh, I think, I think I might've just moved in too strong with trying to, trying to change culture quickly because I felt like it needed it. Um, from, so from a good motive, but I think that it caused some like, you know, versus me just coming in and going, Hey, how can I, 
how can I help you guys? Just like, just you, I just want to hear from you. It kind of came in like Brett and the team kind of just like took over. And so I probably would do that differently, you know, in the future. Probably the number one failure mode of experience for executives, especially joining a company. Um, and at Pushback, we had just an incredibly strong culture. And I can think of times we hired people from the outside and they wanted to bring their people with them. Um, and in pretty much every case where they bought their people with them within the first 30 days or 60 days, they didn't come in and say, hey, you know, this servant-hearted approach you were just describing mm-hmm. before, like, hey, I want to make you successful. Let me understand what the lay of the land is. Let me have one-to-ones with people. Mm-hmm. And, and if you had done that, if this, these people had done that, they would have clearly seen that bringing the people in from the outside that they had worked with albeit that it made them comfortable because, you know, they knew their playbook, they knew what they needed yeah. to do. It actually was going to get rejected by the organization because um, it's kind of like an organ transplant, right? Like you're, implant, you're putting this new organ in and if you don't do it correctly, the organism will reject the organ and then it can be really hard to recover from that. And so in a couple of cases I can think of, the leader came in, they said, we're going to be doing it my way. They didn't take the time to learn and understand exactly what you're saying. They brought their people in and then, you know, two, uh, two quarters later, uh, both of those, those leaders who came in ended up moving on because yeah. the culture just didn't ever acclimatize to them or this new regime they wanted to have. And so what you're, what you're saying here is just exactly right from, from what I've experienced as well. Well, and like what's interesting too from my case is that it's not even necessarily from the outside. They were just from a different department, you know? (laughs) And so I think it applies, you know, both ways and, you know, either way it's outside, you know, outside the organization or outside the department. Cause you know, at a, at at an organization that's large, it might as well be outside, you know, like if it's these big departments and they're, they are all doing their own things, it it might, it still is going to feel like they're coming in from the outside anyways. So yeah, it definitely was, it definitely was, um, Something I didn't expect, you know, I think, I think I still, I still tried to have the same principles of we are here to serve and help you guys and find out what the pain points. But I think, you know, whenever the, 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 the thinking, like you, you touched on it, the thinking is, well, I'm, I trust these people. So I'm going to bring them with me to help me. Um, And I think you can to an extent, like depending on what the players are. I mean, because you do need to be around people that can lift your arms up and help support and and create, help you create the culture. Because when you're doing it all by yourself, that's really tough. Because <laughs> that, that was like plowing the fields. It was a lot of like plowing in, in that department for a while until we could like slowly, you know, there was one person I brought in and then we changed this person's perspective. And it's like, you start getting the whole team around the the new the new perspective and the new way where the new culture and it's not like so count i because before it was so counterculture it was just me going hey guys we want to we're going to be about the different things we're going to operate differently we're going to think differently and it's and it gets really it's hard to do it by yourself so i understand why people want to bring their people in but like you just have to be aware of those the the impacts it would have like you mentioned i totally agree because i experienced that as well Talk to me about like, so now you're, you're, let's call it, you're an executive basically overseeing, you know, two different departments. Um, were there any kind of weekly routines you had? Did you do weekly standups? Did you do one-to-ones? Did you do skip level lunches? I mean, there's all of these tools in, in an executive's tool belt. Which ones did you yeah. kind of do and, and why? Um, pretty much all of those at various seasons. I think I, I never, I never did standups with my teams because at that point, um, I actually didn't actually really even know about them really, you know, and I was just <laughs> in, uh, in, in learning and leadership and things. I just didn't know that was a tool that I could have access to. But as I, as in the last couple of years where that has been a thing where I've been aware of my teams do it, like they're like all of our teams will do standups in some sort. Um, but, you know, we do, we, we have gone through seasons where it's we either weekly one, uh, one-on-ones or every other week one-on-ones, but there's definitely an intentionality there. And I think, one of the most important things is to prioritize those and to not uh, try not to skip them. Or if you have to, if you have to move them, then move them. Don't just skip it. Um, But really that shows value to our people when we prioritize them and to say of like, as a leader, and we're saying to our direct reports, you are the most important thing to me. Like I might, your success and your development is the most important thing. I'm here for you to make you successful. 
but if we constantly are moving those around or missing or skipping them, that actually has is saying exact opposites. Our actions are, are undermining what we're actually saying. And so super important there. Um, obviously you can't meet, you know, in a large organization, you can't meet, have one-on-ones with everyone and that's not how it's designed anyway. So like I would, uh, last year I went to lunch or went to coffee with every single person on my team. And that was great. And they were like, wait, why are we going to coffee? I'm like, I just want to see how you're doing. Just like catch up. Uh, and, and, and I would ask people like, Hey, um, we, you know, we talk about family, personal, whatever we want to talk about, but also I want to ask you, Hey, is there anything that I need to know about? I would ask every single person that because I want to give them an opportunity to share. Some people are going to be like, no, everything's good. And like, even if they're, some people aren't going to share, but I want you to always know that you've had an opportunity to share with the boss. Like what's like, what's on your heart, what's on your mind, what's going on. So, Hey, is there anything that I don't know? Because I tell them I'm only as good as the information that's coming back up to me. And my direct reports are going to be like, yeah, everything's great. It's fine. Was there <laughs> anything that so came I, out of that? That, uh, that was surprised like, someone say, Hey, you know, Jim over here, I mean, he turns up at 10 o'clock and, you know, I'm working here at early. I don't know. I mean, was there any examples of stuff that came out of that? I mean, I've heard of stuff before where um, uh, I've done the skip levels and, and someone on the team's like, hey, you know, um, I actually have to run to the other side of the building to get my printing done. And, you know, might have been an accountant or something. And it's like, uh, can, you, can we get a printer? I'm like, a $100 printer? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we got them a $100 yeah. printer and then you know, think of the goodwill that existed from that accountant because we just spent the hundred dollars to buy them something, you know, was there anything that you can think of that came out of that? Man, I've been trying to rack my brain while you were talking. I don't think there was actually, when you gave that example, it made me think like there was nothing major leadership wise, because I, I try to stay pretty engaged with my leaders and I try to stay with, and then skip level. I try to stay pretty engaged with those people. Like where I'm like, and my leaders know, like, there, you can't, you have to be open-handed if you work for me. You're not going to be like, wait, why is, why is Brett talking to my person? You know, like I'm, and they, and so you have to welcome it actually. Like, yeah, we're great. Hey, Katie, if you need to talk to Brett about anything and that's a level down, like feel free. Like, that's great. Uh, I'm here for you. If you need to talk to Brett though, go for it. And Brett and I, my door is always open and they know that as well. So I try to create that culture, but actually, as you were saying, talking about it more, more, I can't think of a specific, a specific something like the printer, but like, I feel like, a lot of those things where it was like, it wasn't major leadership things. It was like, you know, if we just had maybe like a Keurig over here, that would be really cool because we're having to, you're like, whatever it is. I'm like, no, that's, that's like, that's what I need to know about. Great. Yeah. I'll take those any, you know, any day. Or I think it's confusing because we have these two Slack channels and it doesn't make sense. Why, you know, should, do you think we, we should could combine those? I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea. Like let's do it. You know? So they feel heard. And for me, it's like such low hanging fruit and easy to do. Um, and it wasn't anything major, but I think those things, and it's, it's funny. Like, I mean, I'm wanting to know, like, tell me what's really wrong. Like, tell me what's going on. And they're like, oh, everything's great. But like, there's annoyance over here. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, we can fix that. And they're like, it's you, you're amazing. <laughs> like, cool. That's all it takes. I love it. So yeah, there, there were some of those things that, that came out of, out of it. And that was great. And so we did kind of try to do some coffees. And then I also tried to take teams out like to lunch to, to go, here's the, design team uh, here's the film team and so as a team i want to hear hey how do you think things are going how do you think your you know how the dynamic of your team or how do you is there anything any friction with other teams that you know you're experiencing right now and how can i help so i try to like do those sort of those little tiers of uh, things of how i can stay engaged with what's going on so you talked about uh engagement like doing these as engagement um, for me as a leader, the two things I think about is, is my team engaged? The second one is, are they growing? Um, and you talked a lot about how you personally grew. Is there anything you do to try and create that growth oriented culture in your team? I mean, one thing we do at leader is we, uh, have a CEO book club. Uh, so if you want any kind of book that's going to help you in your role, you know, uh, we're going to buy it for you. And there's people like, well, you know, we spend whatever thousands of dollars a year buying books, but I'm like, look, if someone can't get an ROI on a $15 book, then I mean, we're doing it wrong. Do you have any examples of things you implemented? You know, maybe you send people to seminars, maybe you send them videos all the time. You know, how do you create that growth culture? Yeah, good question. Um, I think so we have, you know, we have budget dollars set aside for, you know, training and development things. And that can be, we do, we do some people to conferences and, you know, I think our team knows that if they wanted a book or if anything, they could let us know and we would get that for them. Cause like you said, the amount you spent on a book, it, it you know, is, is so nominal compared to what 
the lead, the development in a leader. Um, so yeah, we do those things. I think also, you know, we do the, you know, subscriptions for services. So like some of our, you know, our devs, like, can we get a, a subscription to, you know, the, the Udemy and things like that, like online uh, learning tools. I think one thing that we, so really what we're trying to do is provide tools, you know, tools, tools in their tool belt to help them grow. And then it's up to them whether they're going to use that tool. But I know for me as a leader, I'm trying to like amass tools. Um, and I'm more naturally wired that way, like we talked about, but other people, maybe not. So here's some suggestions. Here's some things you can do. Um, I think the other thing that we do, you know, it's not necessarily down the same vein you're, you know, you're saying with these type of tools, but it is something intentional in our culture and probably in a lot of cultures too, but like really trying to uh, give feedback. And so it's not like a, you know, it's not like a here, read this book, but it is a, we're intentional about trying to create leaders. And so in order to do that, then we have we want, we need to be able to give candid and honest and open feedback. And we have a, a gateway. We have a um, kind of a thing we call a social covenant that the whole organization abide. It's just basically here's how we're going to act as an organization. Everyone's like we know that's our social covenant. And and one of those is that I will solicit feedback. You know, I'll give feedback. I'll solicit feedback. And so that actually helps us to create a culture to where when I need to give you a piece of feedback, uh, constructive feedback, uh, you don't have the right to get defensive. Like if you do, like, cause that's, our, that's kind of our natural nature as human beings, as insecure sometimes. And, you know, we are like, Hey, Hey, <laughs> like tone it back off. Like, why are you, why are you coming at me about this thing? But like our part of our culture, if you're going to work at gateway, you have to welcome that. So you have to go, okay, I need to get my heart, my heart and mind, you know, right about this and welcome that feedback. But what that does, it I think it's it's allowed us uh, as a staff and as a leadership staff to open the door uh, to be able to deliver that feedback to people. And and here's how I found that um, has worked for me in delivering feedback is I've and and how we we kind of tell our leaders because no one likes to, I mean no one loves to be able to have a tough conversation with someone like a growing conversation. Hey, when you do this this is the negative output or, Hey, you know, you're doing this behavior and like that needs to change. Um, so no one, lo no one loves those conversations unless maybe you're an eight and you just like to, you know, get in battles with people all the time. But uh, yeah, Chris, you love these conversations, but, uh, uh, but like, so I don't, I don't like them, but like, and mo I think a lot of my leaders don't particularly love having difficult conversations, those candid conversations. And so what I've, uh, what I've told them is listen, you need to have those conversations with people because you're actually doing them a disservice. And we, I'm, and you can even approach it to say, Hey, listen, I want to have a difficult conversation with you, but it's because I want you to have the most influence in this organization as possible. And there's some things that you're doing, or this thing that you're doing is, is diminishing your influence. And so this is all about you. This is all about, I, I want to set you up for success. So it's just, I mean, it kind of goes on the theme of I'm here to serve you and help you become a better version of you. So when I have to bring something to your attention, I'm going to say, Hey, listen, when do you realize that like this whole, this whole meeting, every time someone says something, you kind of looked off and rolled your eyes like that, that will diminish your influence with that person, with that department. And I, I need you to have the most amount of influence. I want you to have the most amount of influence in this organization, never to lose that. So that's something that you need to be aware of that you do when you're frustrated. So just, you know, and Hey, I'm going to call you out on it. You know, you have your permission to call you out on it. Yeah. All right, cool. So I'm going to let you know when I see that may have a, may have a code word and I'll like wiggle my ear or something, but like, it really is, it really is. I think in our, that's something that we've done intentionally uh, to try to help keep our people growing is to be able to have those candid and open conversations with them. That is fantastic. And creating an organization where you can have conflict like that is such a healthy sign because it's actually yeah. dysfunctional to not engage people like that. And then yeah. over time, they feel like, hey, I'm doing an A-plus job. You think they're doing a D-plus job and there's this gigantic expectation yeah. game. And of that course- was, you know, Yeah, that was, really that was really tough. I just took over. I just, when I, the last department I took over, it was, um, it, there was a, there was, I had to make some leadership changes there. And it was, it was tough to, uh, I had to, I had to be really candid and honest with um, the leader and, and, and they were like, I don't understand, like, I, I, this is the first time I'm hearing this, or I don't understand. And, and yep. I had to just say, I'm, I'm sorry that no one had the courage to tell you these things before, you know, or 
or they weren't engaged enough to know it, you know, like yep. it could have been two things, but it, 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 either rate, it stinks for that person. It's tough. And it puts the people that come in behind you at a disadvantage if you're not stepping up and having those courageous, you know, conversations with our people. Yeah, and Jack Walsh used to have a saying that, you know, exactly what you're saying is it's not fair on the employee if you see those things and you don't bring it up. And the yeah. example he always used was, you know, let's say that Jenny, you know, in accounting was not performing well. And, you know, you've got 10 people on the team and let's say she was the bottom performer and she, uh, you, you kind of go through the performance review process. You don't tell her, you don't tell her. And then one day we have layoffs and we go to Jenny and we say, Jenny, look, I'm sorry. You know, we have to make a 10% staff reduction. You're being let go. And Jenny's going to say, well, why am I being let go? Well, Jenny, because you're the bottom performer. And then Jenny's going to say, well, no one's ever told me that before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, doesn't mean we need to embrace the, the kind of rank, rank and stack or what's it called? Rank and stack kind of approach, you know, <laughs> that was common in the early 2000s. But what we do have to say is, look, you know, here's our standard as an organization. And right now you're not meeting that. And yeah. let's work together. What you said, the servant heart of the process, work together to really, you know, close the gap so that you feel like you're contributing and I feel like you're contributing as well. Yeah, for hey, sure. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that, that you know, it, when anyone leaves our organization, I would hope that they never get blindsided by it. Like that, that makes, that's the worst when someone's like, I don't, I didn't understand or I didn't know that I was falling short. That was not meeting expectations. That to me is a hundred percent on a leader. If like, if they didn't communicate, if they, if, if they thought, they're like, no, I've had all these conversations. Well, clearly you didn't communicate something, something was lost in translation. And that's what we want to try to avoid at all costs. Exactly right. Um, uh, two more questions before we jump into the quick fire round. I'd love to hear about how you do career tracks and career pathing for people who work for you. Do you sit with them at some point and say, hey, look, where do you want to go uh, with your career? Is it that intentional or is it more kind of fluid? Because um, it seems like, you know, it was a logical step for you from uh, film into IT and then to obviously oversee the, the uh, production side again. Uh, obviously, um, how do you get that right for the staff who work for you? Yeah, I think so. Obviously with my, my people, we're having those conversations and I'm always trying to figure out, you know, who's my next man up, you know, who are the, who am I? Who, <laughs> again, kind of goes back to the very first conversation about if I'm ever going to be able to do more, I'd have to be able to replace myself. But I think with the people on our staff, I think it's, it's, a, it's more organic. We don't have, um, I think Gateway as a whole wants to develop some systematized approaches to like moving people along using competencies like low manager competencies and all that moving. And I love all that. It's great. Like in order to move, in order to be an executive director, here's the skills and the competencies you need. It's fantastic. And I, and I think that paired with what we're already doing, which is more of that relational um, organic approach of just talking to people and saying, because there's some times where people aren't, there aren't thriving in their job and you want to kind of dig in and try to figure out, is there something, this is just personal going on. Is it, you know, that like we moved them or that, you know, we thought we moved into the seat and we thought, and they thought this is going to be great, but just is not clicking. And so we're having to work through. And so like, even just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a manager who was talking about one of their employees and we were just like, what, what is the right seat? I don't know that what they're doing right now is it. And they were like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it is either. So why don't you go have a conversation, start those conversations and go, hey, where do you want to be? Like Gateway is great because of a lot of different things and we're unique because we're a church. So we have ministry lane and we have kind of operations and all that. There's a lot of different factors or business and ministry. And so, so we, it's a big organization and we can talk about, hey, do you really want to be on this side of it? Or do you want to be doing this? And like, it's okay. And if it's not on this team, that's amazing. Uh, it's amazing if you're called and you're supposed to be somewhere else because that means a fit over here. Someone else is supposed to be on this seat and we can just align. So, so having those conversations, I actually recently just talked with my team. Uh, we do a monthly leadership, uh, um, monthly leadership meeting lunch. And it's basically two hours and, and I take all the leaders that have people to reporting to them and we just uh, pour into them intentionally Part of our goal uh, in that is we want to, we call it the term, we want to be a leadership factory. We want to develop leaders. That's like, that's the goal. And so we have to be intentional with that. And so we said one of our, when we wrote on the board, we're going to be a leadership factory is a goal. Okay. What does that mean? How are we going to do that? So we have to be intentional. And so one of these is this monthly lunch. And so this kind of analogy just came to me in the, in the moment. 
and I shared with them because we were we were on we were on uh, unveiling some changes changes to all the departments like some small some pretty major but it was basically a lot of uh, time and the, before the meeting really started got spent on just communicating changes um, because you're the leaders you need to know about these but in the course of that I just felt this kind of this impression of why do we make changes? Because I think people can get frustrated with changes. They call it change fatigue. Uh, you know, just, it's like, why, why are you guys always, why are they always tweaking things, you know, and always making changes? Nope. And so I said, here's the deal. Like, here's what you got to understand. We are trying to follow and be obedient to what our goals are, whether that's for us, ministry and church, like, what is God saying? Where are we going? What's our goals of the company? Like, what is, what are the goals of our organization? Where, who's our CEO? What are they saying we're going? So that's like, that's the top of the sphere, top of the triangle. But then on one leg of the triangle, we have the organizational structure and just how it's all, how it's all organized, where everyone sits, like all that, the goals of maybe the departments. And then on the other leg, we have people's sweet spot, they're calling, they're giftings, all of that. And so what we're trying to do as leaders is make sure that triangle is always in like, is always in perfect alignment. We're going, and sometimes it gets a little misshapen over here or, and so we're going, so we're tweaking, we're going, oh wait, what is their gifting and where, how do they fit in this organization and like the structures? And then how does that, how does that affect the goals that we're trying to accomplish and what we've heard, where we're going? And we're like, we're tweaking with that, and this, you know? And so it's constantly this little, this, this tweaking of this triangle, just trying to keep it into a perfect triangle. And so I try to explain my heart with them and to go, Hey guys, I think that, and, and, and pastor Todd, my brother-in-law actually coined this for me. So I don't want to steal it, but I said, Hey guys, I think that um, we always talk about change fatigue. I think we need to change our uh, terminology to build change endurance because if we're a growing and dynamic organization, change is inevitable. So we can't be frustrated with change. We have to learn, learn to embrace it and get change endurance instead of the fatigue. I mean, that's an incredible amount of intentionality that you're building into your culture, which is incredibly impressive. I mean, uh, most organizations, as you say, are just trying to endure the changes and say, okay, let's just try and survive this change so we get through to go back to what we're doing um so that's really impressive. Well, we used to, yeah we, we were there we were there and it's just it's tough so it's like we got to get on the other side of it and be more, more intentional about it because it's yeah it's not it's not fun being you know yo-yo just trying to figure out where to go so like we're gonna we're gonna pour in that we need to pour into uh, into our leaders well speaking of change fatigue last thing i'd love to dig, dig into just before we go to the quick fire round is um obviously covid has you know brought so much change in such a, a small period of time um, and I think even for you personally as a leader now, you know, really, um, you know, engaging in boardroom conversations more and, and understanding how the organization operates at a higher level, you know, maybe just take me through what are some of the changes that COVID has meant for you, for Gateway? Um, because I think it's just, you know, it's changed a lot of how, how you yeah. operate. Yeah, for sure. It's changed everything. Like a lot of it in a, in a good way, honestly, like I, I think, you know, the church as a whole has uh, had, had a playbook that they're running over and over again. And I think this threw a wrinkle on everyone's business and, you know, churches included in that as well. And so, yeah, I, I got to, they asked, they asked myself uh, and our communications director and then kind of our PR guy to, to join on, on a task force, you know, to, to, so as soon as this hit, we jumped on started meeting every day because you know things were changing every day information was changing guidelines lockdowns all that stuff so we just stayed in sync every day um, and that was really cool to be a part of and to see you know at another like you said at, at a higher level of leadership uh, with kind of all the, the strategic team the people in the room making all the calls uh, it was great to be in sync with our leaders tightly uh, as an org you know for our organization um, but we yeah, we pivoted, you know, to online, obviously, like everyone else did. Um, but one of the cool things that we did early on, probably within like week two, uh, was that we sent a text message out to all of our uh, people in our database uh, from their campus pastors. So, you know, hi, this is Derek, you know, wanted to reach out and see if you're okay. Please let us know if you need anything. And we had people, we had our all of our campuses and all of our staff just there responding to people. And it was, I mean, I still hear when people say, man, you sent me that text message, like it meant so much. And then we went and we personally called 130,000 people uh, in our database. And we worked through those over a month probably and just called every single person. So what I, when I say there's things about it that I, I loved that's come out of it is I feel like personal touch, you know, like, the, you know, a big organization, a big church can be 
can can sometimes function as this big behemoth thing and 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 forget that like we're really just here to serve people and to help people whether you're a church or a business like you're trying to help serve you know and meet a need and help serve a problem uh, help 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 uh, help a problem and serve people and so um so uh being able to get back to really doing personal personal ministry for us as a church was incredible um we also kind of spun up quickly uh, services for other demographics that we didn't have. So we spun up like three different kids services based on age group. Um, and, when, and we also pivoted and created a whole Spanish broadcast, Spanish service as well. So like <laughs> in, the, in, a, in a matter of weeks, we created all this new content that we didn't have. And we're still doing them to this day. So when I say that like COVID hit and changed everything about what we did, I think it actually did, a, did us a service and we could get rid of an old model maybe, or I like get rid of parts of an old model and really infuse new ways into how to really reach people and pastor and love and serve people um, that we were just so stuck in like these event modes. And when you can't do events, you're going, well, now I don't know how to be a church. Well, churches was not about events. Like it was never about, let me put on this thing and you come and like get from us. Like we want to go, we need to go out to you and we want to go out and meet your needs. And that's where I feel like we've really, um, we've really shined as an organization over the last few months. It's like, we're going to, we've been trying to go out, go out, go out. And we, I mean, hot, we did feed people at the hospitals, um, uh, you, know, you know, once or twice a week providing food for people, um, doing prayer events at hospitals. You know, we had dry, we had uh, nights of worship where we did drive in nights of worship, all these things, just trying to like create things out in the community. Um, so I'm really, been, I've been really proud of that. And it's been cool to see our organization kind of shift and put a kind of re-emphasis on how do we meet the needs of people in our congregation. So it's been pretty incredible. And you also had done some, uh, implemented some projects before COVID hit that allowed you to scale. Yeah. You black in across, you know, the, all of the staff, you put a new uh, phone system in so that people could work from home. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, was it we, just- were, we were ready we were ready for it not really knowing that we were doing that. I mean I was doing it because I was trying to make I would, all of what we were doing is try to be scalable so we want to launch campuses we want to we have a campus in um, Wyoming this is our first one out of the state and so you have to think differently when you're not all connected by the same you know network lines right there you gotta you just gotta think differently so um, so yeah we had you know we had the organization on slack we had moved to a cloud-based phone system we had, you know, implemented Zoom, like literally probably six months before we had switched over uh, to Zoom, which is a way more reliable platform than what we were using before. But then getting people into that, even the culture of using these tools, because so that's a whole nother thing, just to like sign the contract and say, hey, we have it available is one thing. We had started those kind of grassroots approach of like, hey, when you do a meeting invite, include a Zoom link, because don't expect everyone to come drive to you. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, and some people did, some people did. Well, then guess what? <laughs> now everyone's including a Zoom link, a Zoom link in their meetings because that's the way of COVID. We have to now. So, but like just being ahead of those, it, re- it was, it felt really good for me as, you know, the t- a technology leader to feel like, okay, whew, I had, <laughs> I had somewhat of my stuff in order so that we didn't have to just start scrambling immediately. Um, but if you actually think about it from our perspective, what's good about that is it allowed us to do ministry quicker. So we had just also gotten a short code 71010 uh, that you can text and had it all set up with Slack so that the text messages come into Slack. And what's great about that is that we can put tons of volunteers and tons of pastors in Slack for free and they can just, you know, respond to these thousands of people that are coming in. Well, we, I mean, that was done like a couple of weeks before COVID hit. You know, and just thinking, hey, we need to have a tool like this to help people. So I love I, what I love not to like pat ourselves on the back. What I love is that we were able to help people. We were able to help facilitate ministry quicker and respond quicker when it all happened. That's the best part about it all. Would you uh, would you tell our audience your phone number so they can try and hire you? <laughs> <laughs> just text seven ten ten Gateway Church. <laughs> I mean to. No, seriously, to have all of that in place, you know, and then to be able to roll into the into COVID and be in, in that place is, I think, just uh, an incredible testament to to your leadership that you're in a position to do it. So uh, it's fantastic. Amazing team. All right. Amazing in team the last few minutes we've got available, let's jump into the quick fire round. Uh, five questions, um, short answers each one, uh, and then one kind of meaningful question I'd love to ask you to wrap up. So, First question is, uh, aside from the Bible, what is the most impactful leadership book that you've ever read? 
I think um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lanciana. I uh, I've read it every couple of years, reread it. So a lot about what how I how I lead is from those principles of of, of in that book. Cosine. If you could only choose one word to describe your leadership style, what would it be? Uh, <clears throat> engaged. We use that we use that word a lot in our talk about being engaged, and I think probably one of the most important things for a leader. Okay, number three. What is your biggest distraction working from home? You know the answer to this question. <laughs> I'm going to go five kids with triplets, you know, like, hey, daddy, are you on a Zoom call? <laughs> I, yeah, it's tough. I'm looking forward to going back to the office to get some work done. All right, number four, what's, what's your biggest failure? Probably too long of a story, but I'll just say, I'll keep it short. Just, I think back in Gateway, there was a product that we tried to do we tried to be a service provider to uh churches and as you know that's not a just something you go yeah we're gonna just make a company and have an app and give it away so i think that um that experience was although it wasn't squarely on my shoulders i definitely should have there's there's parts where i could have um led that situation better and not let it go down the road it went down or, or pulled the plug quicker on it voiced my concerns quicker just if I summarize it, would it be um, trying to do something that's outside of your core competency? A hundred percent. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Last, last question. And, uh, and feel free to take a little longer on this one to, to kind of wrap up our interview. Um, I just have a philosophy that, you know, people often sometimes forget the, what all of the work, the accolades and all of that, you know, 20, 30 years from now, people are going to remember how you made them feel so tell us a time that someone believed in you when maybe they shouldn't have. I feel like that's every step along the way in my career. But no, I think I think about that moment of going from the small team to 30 people. And I think, you know, I felt, I felt like I could do it. But I mean, there was so much I didn't know. But definitely our leadership took a chance on me, a kid, uh, to now oversee most of the people who are older than me, you know, and... So they definitely took a chance on me, uh, my age, my experience, all that, and just to step, like being stepping in that role. Um, so it, it, I think about that often, honestly, when, when I'm mulling over decisions <laughs> and I'm going, oh man, I think they may have what it takes, but like, oh gosh, they're only 26 or they're only, or whatever the reason you're like, oh man, they've only been doing this for two years or whatever it is. And I really, I honestly think back to go, someone believed in me to take a chance on me. They saw something in me. So what is it that I'm seeing in this person? Like, what is that thing that's like drawing me to it to go, just let me have a chance to coach them. Like, let me, let me, like, there's something there and I'm, I can, I can coach that up. And so I do think back to that moment when um, it was, my life was crazy and I was, didn't know really what I was doing. Um, and I said, and they said, you know, I believe in you. I feel like you have what it takes. And had that not happened. Yeah. I don't know where I, I where I'd be. So it's, I'm super grateful for that. And think about all the people, you know, years from now who are going to come back and say, Hey, Britt believed in me and it made a huge difference. Well, you know, I think I told you this the other day, but, you know, having my 14 year anniversary celebrated, uh, one of my direct reports was, you know, super kind and posted in our team Slack channel, like, Hey, you know, we're not going to let the day go by without, you know, letting everyone know he wouldn't want you to know, but it's Brent's, you know, anniversary. So hey, let's tell him how much, uh, you know, he means to us. And they just, you know, started coming in. Oh my God, I can't look at that. I can't look at those right now. We went to dinner and I had my wife, like, can you just read them? Like, I just want to, I'll just, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to absorb. And like, I'm just, you know, getting, get really, got really emotional. And, and I posted back to the team just saying, thank you. But I just said, you know, it's like a, it really is like a sweet time capsule uh, because as a leader, you do, you try to do your best every day. You get it wrong. Sometimes you make mistakes, but you're, you're, you're trying to uh, do these principles that you believe in. You're trying to serve others and you're trying to call them and believe the best. And you try to fight for unity. You're contending for the, you're for unity and, 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 and want to see great results. And, and you really want to see people elevated uh, and go past yourself. And so you're doing all these things. You're doing the hard work day in and day out. And you don't really get to see it. Like, and so what was cool about that is getting like a little, like a time capsule and a glimpse of, all the hard work over the last 14 years. Here's some of the, 
here's just some of the wins. And like, I wouldn't have been, thank you for calling me and asking me to come. Thank you for asking me to step up, you know, like pouring into me and being intentional about that. And it just, it just was a cool, uh, a cool reminder that what we do matters and that it's affecting people and it's important. And so I had a, it was a, I had a really good, good week, a couple weeks ago, just being able to glean in all that and uh, remember the goodness over the last 14 years. And that's what leadership is, right? Is, is yeah. leading people at the end of the day. So, well, what yeah. a phenomenal note to end on, Brett. I just want to say thank you for making the time for this. I know this has been, uh, I've got pages of notes here. I want to go and uh, implement straight away, but thank you so much <laughs> for making the time to share with us your experience. Uh, and, and our audience is going to find this incredibly helpful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I love what you guys are doing at Leader. And uh, I'm excited that you're helping people as well and developing their leadership. So thank you for having me. It was, a, it was truly an honor. I'm glad to be here anytime. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next time on Principles in Practice. Don't forget to check out the links in the description below for some free downloadable resources and to get more information about Brett and Gateway Church. And while you're there, feel free to hit that like button, share and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new content. We'll see you next time.